right? I've been loved my whole life, but I believed I was loved because of the value that I brought to people, not because they actually just genuinely cared about me. And so I didn't know how to reach out for help. I felt really alone. It was just a really dark time. So I think that was the first kind of chink of like, I can't live like this anymore. Welcome to the Innovative Founder, the show where entrepreneurs get real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. Hello, founders. Hello, founders. Welcome. So to good to be with you again. Brandon, we're recording this in the middle of April. It is April. 70, 79 and sunny and blue ah. sky in Chicago. It's glorious today. It's I love it. Majestic. Same here. It's beautiful. I think we're in the 70s as well. It's uh, sunny out here in uh, Littleton, Colorado. Um, so nice. I love when the spring hits. There's this kind of this energy that kicks in yeah. and excitement and kind of coming out of a hibernation phase. So I'm, I'm super excited. You just got back from, from Disney World, from Florida or land. I don't know the difference between land and world, but uh, world. you had a good trip. Yeah, we had a great trip. Um, I think we've chatted about it a little bit. I don't want to keep boring people. Previous one, yeah. I don't want to keep boring people with Florida stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we, uh, I think it's. I think this is going to be a show that people are going to find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to chat about this a little bit. You know, we're we're, we're talking to a friend of yours. We'll, we'll give that yes. that caveat. Um, didn't. It's just one of those people that I, I think, how would you describe it? You, she, she started you know, as somebody so, that you worked with. Like, how, so I'll, how can I'll, we describe I'll, it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump right in. So Brit, um, Brit came into my life, it, probably one of the lowest points ever for me. Uh, divorce was happening, major shifts of how the divorce was happening, seeing the, the end of a relationship. And uh, she came in in just the precise moment. I was, I was at that time. I was. You had introduced me to to um, um, a program that was some intense brain coaching and and mm-hmm. very reputable. And Britt was my coach, and yep. we got to be tremendously great friends in over over a few months. And then um, she was, you know, we remained friends after the coaching, and and that's when I was going through this a, a very painful divorce situation and shift and. She was someone who showed up at just the precise time and was just loved me unconditionally as a friend and, and helped me sort out my muck and uh, loved me when, when I was feeling terribly unlovable. And so, uh, and really showed me uh, a true meaning of friendship and connection. And, and, uh, and, and it was, it's been fantastic. And we have been best buds ever since. And I was in her wedding last year. And we just have, when we get together, it's, it's, we hang out in the mountains and we have hours and hours of conversation around behavior change, belief change, spirituality, metaphysics, but um, really that, so you're going to get a dose of it today on today's episode on today's show is, is we're going to get into that. And, and she is absolutely world-class at what she does. And I tell her, I said, you are the next Tony Robbins. You are taking the the belief work that is you know and, and the personal development work in our society and you are up leveling it you are transitioning it into a new era and with the work that you do and so um i am a huge yeah. obviously a huge fan so yeah um i'm i'm working with an individual his name is vlad who uh studied with and studied under brit's dad um, mm. it's called the lefko me- method and you know brit's going to tell a great story of how she's taken that work and evolved it into her own which is i think that's that's what her dad would have wanted mm-hmm. um, but the uh the the work I, i've seen the change in you 
uh, and I've experienced it myself. And there's been, there's, there's limiting beliefs that I've held onto that have been just, they're buried in your subconscious. Mm -hmm. You just don't know they're there. It's a functioning program that you're completely unaware of. And, uh, you know, I kind of tell a story later on, but I'll, I'll tell it here. It's, it's, it's so amazing how you can work with somebody uh, like Britt who will, will take, will take you and will, will confront that belief head on, but not in a confrontational way. It's, it's the way I describe it is she takes you to the side and gives you a different view of it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, when your parents would come in your room and you say, there's a monster under my bed and they turn on the lights and you look under there and it's not there. It's it's kind of that simplistic, mm -hmm. um, but it's exceedingly powerful, and I've I've seen some amazing changes in my own mindset and and how I operate. It's it's freed up a lot of muck, um, and I know what it's done for you. And we we've been wanting to have Brit on the show for a while, mm -hmm. um, and you know Brit is in the process of up leveling her business, um, getting a handle on that. I know you're helping her out with that. Uh, I, I think her story is incredible. Uh, she does some teaching on here, which is a little bit more than we normally have from a guest, but you really mm -hmm. kind of get her story and she's, she's real vulnerable mm -hmm. and, and talks about that. And I think it's, people are going to find it really fascinating. Bob, I, I completely agree. And uh, let's just, let's get into it. So without further ado, uh, we introduce Britt Lefko. Welcome, welcome innovative founders to our show today. And we have, we have. Britt Lefko, I'd say in the one of my top three favorite people, you know, there's my parents, maybe Bob's in there, Britt's right in there. Britt's right in there, <laughs> a top favorite, amazing people in my life. And I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Welcome, Britt. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for the top favorite people. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> and truth be told, he did. He's mentioned my name just because I'm on the podcast with him. Right. But yeah. in, in private, he would be like, oh, Britt, you're right there under my family. <laughs> Bob. Oh, Bob. Bob. Actually, Britt's important to me because she kind of helped you become tolerable to have as a as a. Oh, <laughs> we'll get into that. I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks, Britt. <laughs> Ouch. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> yes. Oh, Brit, but uh, we kid. Brit, Brit is absolutely that person who, who who showed up at a very important time. And so uh, we're going to dive into that. So Brit, darling, tell us what is going on in your life right now that you're super excited about. What's going on? Uh, what is going on in my life that I'm excited about? Um, I don't want to go right into business, but I will <laughs> say I'm I'm watching my business grow in a really exciting way, which for me is just tied to impact, right? The ability to do what I love and impact more people. So it's just been really like a really beautiful growth phase for me. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then on a short term, I am finally doing a solo weekend this weekend, which I'm really excited about. So I'm going uh, just away by myself to stay in a hotel and read and sleep and just take some space, which I just haven't done in forever. So I'm really looking forward to a weekend alone. Love it. That's cool. Love it. Love it. I'm afraid that if I did a weekend alone, I would waste it by sleeping. I would just literally <laughs> fall asleep, which is probably what my body would need. But I'm like, right. wow, it'd be, it'd be like, I, I would love the idea. I'm like, oh man. And then I would fall asleep, but I'd wake yeah. up on Sunday and go, oh, I got to go home now. Yeah. See, my goal actually is to fall asleep and sleep for as long as I can. Right. There's like, there's nothing I have to do. There's nothing I yeah. want to get done. I'm like, if I read three books, great. If I don't open a book, that's also fine. Like I just, I want to rest. I want to chill. I just want to do me in my own yeah. space. So I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, that's a good nice. painful admission. I'm, I'm what with a good, you yeah. What a good gift for yourself and, and good for John to give you the space to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Where you're yeah. going? You're going, you said to Royal Gorge. Is that what I heard before? Yeah, St. Gorge. St. Gorge. St. George. You said Gorge. St. George. Gorge. George. It's down, it's uh, so I, I live in the Salt Lake City area. It's about a four hour drive down South and it'll be 80 and sunny hmm. and I'm, it'll be lovely. Fantastic. You live, so you, you live in, it, it's interesting. Um, what do you like about living in Salt Lake? It's, it's an interesting city. You're kind of down, you're like in the mountains, but you're not. Like, tell me a little bit about that space for you. I love the mountains. The mountains are 
or about 80% of my heart. <laughs> mm. So um, I spend most of my weekends backpacking during the summer, rock climbing during the winter, it's snowboarding, but um, Salt Lake City is just, it's so close to the mountains and they're visible. So unlike Denver, where it's like an hour and a half or, you know, hour and 45 and you can't see them here, I can see them, right? It's like the backdrop to my life or just these majestic, awe-inspiring mountains that I get to spend my free time in. So um, John, John's my husband, John and I moved here um, for the mountains, just to be in, in the mountains. And so that is something that has really kept us loving it. Bob, so there's an underlying theme you're going to be kind of noticing throughout this interview with Britt. I just visited her and John, and it was, you know, we spent a weekend hanging out, and there was an underlying sales pitch for me to move to Salt Lake City to be closer and hang out. So when you hear these jabs, closer, closer to the mountains than Littleton. Yeah, I mean, I see the foothills right here, but it's never good enough for Britt, like, you know, so, and Salt Lake City is gorgeous. You are nestled right in yes. the middle. They're just surrounding you. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It really is. So it's, it's really special. But yeah, that's what that's you're going to hear this underlying tone of persuasion uh, from Brett. And 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 so just so you know, throughout this, and she's very good at it and very convincing. And, and I got to visit Salt Lake City once. It was beautiful. I had one good day. I was there to speak at a Russell Brunson small group event, which was great. And I got the flu. So oh, no. I spent the other two days, Ooh. but it helped me find a good soup place. <laughs> like soup. I found a good soup place that I had to walk to to get soup, but it was beautiful and the soup was great. But I wish I would go back now when I'm healthy because um, yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous. You you are right. It's, it was absolutely stunning city yeah. to visit. I, I could see why you like it. Mm-hmm. You're going to get Brandon to move. That'd be, that'd be another feat because he loves Colorado. I do. I do he like does. it. He does do. love Colorado, but I don't think he loves it as much as he would love Salt Lake City. And so I just, you know, to be honest about that, I know he also loves the mountains and our access. I mean, it's closer. Our mountains are bigger and more beautiful. I mean, it just, just kind of fits. <laughs> and Britt has a, a part-time job for the Salt Lake City Visitors Council. And that was a paid endorsement of Salt Lake of City, course. Utah. Yeah. So you can only, you can only sell something you really, well, me, I can only sell something I really love and believe in as a side, funny story. I tried to be in sales. Uh, when I lived in San Francisco, I lasted about 15 minutes. I'm like trying to go through a sales cycle and I'm flying out to different places to sell software. And the minute I got an objection, they're like, I don't know if this is, you know, going to be useful for us. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't buy it. I was like, oh, this is not the job for me. I'm like, if I don't believe in it, I don't Maybe care. You buy it. it. Don't Maybe buy you should it. go get a boat. Maybe, oh, you know what? Yeah. You need a motorcycle. Put a down payment on that thing. Yeah. I just, yeah. Circle back on me in a year. Yeah, yeah. I can't sell it if I don't believe in it. I just don't care. <laughs> I just can't even believe you got a, had a sales job knowing you. Like that's, yeah. that's kind of like strikes me as, oh my goodness, fish out of water. Well, I was told at the time, you know, when I was living in San Francisco and I had walked away for a while from the work I'm doing now. And so many people were like, you have such an outgoing personality. You would love it. Right. It would be so fun for you. So I did it to, for the relationship building, but it just Mm. felt so, like you said, it just, it was like a jacket that didn't fit. Right. It's like, my arms are like kind of poking out. I can't get it over. Like, I just, it was so not me. I really, I really disliked it a lot. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, we're kind of teasing Brandon, but I know he chose, they, he, he literally chose, he and his family chose to live there. And you're a very t- intentional person too, Britt. Did like, was it, was it a decision process to, to go to Salt Lake or is it just like when like, like I'm going there. I'm, I'm interested in that. So before living here, um, so I was living in San Francisco when I met my husband, John, he was living in Denver. And because we both are remote and work for ourselves, we city hopped between the two for a few years. And then we were in Salt Lake city visiting. Um, and we had talked about doing a season in park city. So maybe just moving here oh. for a few months. And then when we were here, we just loved it. And I just, I remember looking at John and being like, do you, do you love it here? Like the way that I love it here? He's like, yeah. And I was like, are we going to move here? And he's like, 
I think so. And then of course, because the universe works in mysterious ways, we ended up, I was uh, co-leading an event and there was a woman there who was a real estate agent. Mm. John started talking to her about real estate. She showed us a house and then we bought a house. So we bought a house when we were here visiting, which was a wild move, but I mean, it worked out. Here we are. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. I knew there had to be a story there. That's oh, like, yeah. you just like, here I am. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Hands down. Um, do note that, that John was here in Denver and he owns property here in Denver. So there was a, there was a, you had to start here in Denver and then you transitioned. I understand <laughs> baby steps, baby yeah, steps. steps. Yeah. So Brit- love- go what? ahead. I was, no, no. I was going to ask. I was going to go back. Um, go back. Britt, I was going to go back too. So you go back. All right. I'll, I'll go back. Yeah. So Britt, um, you told uh, one of the last times I heard you speak, you you kind of talked a little bit about your your dad's journey, which is important to where you're at. Um, yeah. If you want to mind sharing a little bit about kind of where he came into the work and then, you know, we're going to bridge that into how you got into doing the work as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right around the time I was born, my dad was a management consultant, so he was paid to give advice and my dad had unbelievable integrity. I mean, unlike anybody I have ever met in my life and it drove him nuts that people would pay him for advice and then not implement it. And so he would keep getting called back on these projects and he would look and just say, but but you're not implementing it. You're not really getting the value. So why are you paying me for advice? And he used to tell this story a lot when I was a little girl, but he was on the airplane. He was working a project with Land's End and he was sitting on the airplane and just thinking like, why don't they take good advice? And that turned into, why don't I take good advice? He's like, I've had failed marriages. I struggled with depression. Like I know what to do. I I know how to make good choices. Why do I not take a good advice? And then like, why did, why did people in general not take good advice? And my dad was an absolute genius. I mean, like an absolute genius. And what my dad realized is we don't take good advice when it conflicts with our limiting beliefs. So if we mm-hmm. believe that something is going to be hard and someone tells us a way to make it easy, we will unconsciously reject that because it's not possible, right? If we believe that we're not good enough for something or not credible enough to speak somewhere and we're given the advice that we should speak, our internal dialogue is going to go, oh, no, no, but but you couldn't do that. Or these are all the reasons why not. And so what my dad created was a process to help people shift these limiting beliefs. And so if the beliefs are the reason why you don't take the good advice, the idea is when you get rid of the beliefs, you can take the good advice. And I think, you know, one of the important pieces of the puzzle is ideally, right, it's not about taking advice from other people. It's we already know so much of the good advice, right? It's like, we, we already know so many of the answers. So it's not really so much about taking good advice as it is about really being able to listen to what you actually want and to make the choices that best serve the life that you want to create for yourself. Mm. So we've spent a lot of time, Britt, in, in hours and hours of conversation and and deconstructing this. And um, we, we came up with some physical analogies of how the brain works in this context. And I think the last conversation we had was about, I, I call it the old dirty chair in the middle of the living room is you've got this, this, and I, you know, if you, if a limiting belief, you're aware of it, you know what it is, you know, it's right there in the middle of your living room. It stinks. It's not doing any value. You just want to get rid of it. And the, what you told me was, is the reason why we can't get rid of these is it's a different part of the brain that has to remove the chair rather than the one that can see it observe it, and even the one that created it. Am I getting that right? Yeah. So I think a a helpful way to think about it is your prefrontal cortex is your logical brain. It's your creative brain. It's reasonable. It's rational. It has wonderful genius ideas. That is also not the part of your brain that drives behavior. So if you look at functional MRI data, the part of your brain that actually drives your behavior is your amygdala. That's your emotional brain. And that's also where your limiting beliefs live. So what that means is If your limiting beliefs are living in the part of your brain that drives your behavior, your conscious awareness, your prefrontal cortex might be aware of that all day long, but it's not actually impacting your behavior. So knowing that something exists doesn't change it. And another way to think about it is you can't think your way out of a feeling. You have to reframe the feeling in order to shift it. So Mm. you can't use your logical brain 
to change a feeling and a belief lives as a feeling, right? Mm. Need to be able to actually get to the underlying belief system that lives in your amygdala to make the change. The conscious awareness of it doesn't change it. It's a completely different part of the brain. And I think that's what's so frustrating for people, right? Going back to the idea of good advice, I mean, this you listen, you know, whoever is listening right now, it's like you listen to podcasts, you read the books, you do the workshops, and information, the way that I put it is information doesn't change behavior, insight does. And so the more information we get, the more we might feel equipped, but again, it's a different part of the brain. The information holding part of the brain is not the part of the brain that drives your decision-making. So you have to be able to translate that information into an insight specifically about you that will shift the beliefs that drive your behavior in order to see the changes you want to see. Mm -hmm. So the next logical question, Britt, is how do those limiting beliefs begin or end up in the amygdala? How, how does that happen? Yeah. So during your first seven years of life, you do not have a prefrontal cortex. So all you have is your emotional brain. It doesn't even start developing until the age of seven. So there's a couple consequences of that. The first one is that you don't understand cause and effect and you don't understand context. So the idea that mom is struggling or going through a hard time, the idea that one of your parents or both of your parents have to work, right? The idea that there are these real life adult things. A child doesn't understand that. The part of the brain that understands those types of nuance and abstraction hasn't started developing. So all you know is that there's upset and that it has to do with you. And the reason why is from a stages of development standpoint, we are in the ego. Now I don't mean ego in some weird Freudian way, all I mean by ego mm -hmm. is that you can't understand cause and effect outside of yourself. So because of that, if someone is upset, what is it about me that's making them upset? If there's fighting, what have I done? How could I be better or different so that the fighting doesn't exist? So the question that we're consistently asking as a child is, how can I be better or different so that things are better or different? And we're taking everything as this personal goal and part of the reason why, and this piece is really, really important in those early years, our survival doesn't depend upon ourselves. It depends upon our parents. And so creating harmony in our family is tied to safety. So during those first seven years, we're trying to figure out we're, right, you think about it, you're new in town. Like you've never been here before. You have no idea how things work. You don't know what's going on. The only thing you know is that you need to have a feeling of harmony in your family in order to feel safe. So you're constantly trying to figure out the way to feel safe. Now, one of the challenges with this is if being well-liked or being helpful or being smart creates harmony in your family, you then link that to your safety. So if you look at the beliefs that you have today, it's why do I care what people think of me? Well, it's not just because, oh, you're insecure or because you don't love yourself, right? It's because your brain was actually programmed to associate being well-liked with safety. So this is safety mechanism in your brain. So, so many of our beliefs today that are implanted, like you said, in our mind come from how we tried to figure out our safety in our early years. And unfortunately the brain, the brain doesn't update. Right. So there's no like software update. It's like, oh, okay, I'm 15 now, or I'm 32 now, or I'm 67 now. My safety depends upon me. Those neural pathways in your brain are solidified. Now, thankfully, we are incredibly neuroplastic. So we can kind of reorganize the neural network in our brain, but you need to kind of know how to do that. And you need to go along a, a particular path because without doing that, your, your neural network is is kind of conditioned to make you think and feel how you think and feel. Hmm. So let's, let's keep the audience hanging a little bit here. We're going to talk a little bit probably later on how to get rid of those limiting beliefs, but let's, let's get back to Brit. I'm interested. So your dad's a management consultant and, and then goes into, he dives into this human behavior psychology path. Yeah. How did that, how did that all go? So I think there's two important pieces of the puzzle here. The first one was my dad started his business when I was young, but it was, like you said, it was not a, a business. It was a life mission. My dad had no interest in running a business. He didn't care about a business. And he made that very clear. He also was not great at running a business because he was a visionary, right? There was a, mm. I, there was a big piece of paper on my dad's 
office that I remember and it said my mission. And then it said to end suffering on the planet. Mm. So my dad had a big dream that was very much grounded in people suffer needlessly, right? That Mm. it, it goes back to what the Buddha said, right? Pain is inevitable. Suffering is not that suffering comes from the meaning that we give to Mm. our life and to the things that we go through. And because of that, we needlessly suffer. So my dad started this business with my mom and the two of them, you know, were kind of on this mission together to do this work. And, um, it was, it was incredibly impactful for me in a lot of ways, first and foremost, because I am a bleeding heart empath and I too wanted to save the world. And as a little girl, knowing that people suffered was, a really hard pill to swallow. I cried myself to sleep because homelessness existed. Like I just didn't want anyone to hurt. And when I saw that there was this way that was so effective and so incredible, my parents worked from home. So as a little girl, I would sit, you know, and and come downstairs and I would have like a sea of people almost every day telling me, you know, your dad changed my life. This work changed my life. I, you know, looking back, I don't know if saying that to a five-year-old was appropriate, but you know, I I struggled with this and I struggled with that. And, you know, this work changed my life. And so I believed in this work with every cell in my body. And I believed that this was the way to change the world. I also just want to add in this one kind of caveat, which feels important because it's really honest. The process worked on everyone, right? It worked on everyone Mm -hmm. except for me the process didn't work on me. And I think I was introduced to it too early. And I think from a brain development standpoint, it, it was almost like I kind of developed around it. Um, Mm. I think there was probably a lot of challenges with it being introduced to me as young as it was, but that was a huge challenge in my life was that I could see all of my beliefs, right? Like the chair, I could see it and I I didn't know how to get rid of it. And so I had a very mixed relationship to the process because I honored it for the role it played in everyone else's life. And I also, in a lot of ways, resented it because it didn't work for me. And that was Mm. something that took me years and years and years to to move past. Mm. Interesting. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show today. Britt is such a dear, dear friend. And I'm just always amazed by the wisdom and the insights that she has on how our brains and behavior work together. If you are someone like me who has been interested in personal development and growth um, in in all different areas of business and life, uh, Britt is the person you want to pay attention to. Uh, She's uh, just an amazing, amazing coach, uh, amazing the way she has evolved this space of behavioral change and belief change. You want to go to BrittLefko.com, B-R-I-T-T-L-E-F-K-O-E.com. And there you can reach out to Britt. You can schedule an appointment with her. You can see some of the examples of the work that she does. But uh, she is absolutely world-class in what she does. And uh, I know you'll benefit from spending time with her. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. Yeah, that that honesty is... Uh, and. Uh, be nice to explore that a little bit. I, it's almost, and this is just kind of a weird parallel, but can you imagine being like Michael Jordan's child, right? Like how many people tell you all day long, how brilliant and amazing yeah. their, your dad is, mm-hmm. is, is it almost like Brit, they didn't see you? Like, was it like they, they, they were just, they're just being generous. They're being like, they're expressing gratitude, but in in a way, did it affect you? Like, did, did you not feel seen or, I'd like to explore a little bit. Like it didn't work on me. What, what have you, what have you figured out about that? Yeah. I mean, it affected me hugely. I think it's probably one of the biggest things in my life that has driven me that, you know, if you learn when you're little, that your beliefs determine your life. And at five years old, you already know that you feel not good enough and not worthwhile and Mm. all these things. I'd be like, Oh my God, this is going to be my life. So I was very, very driven to figure out how to get rid of my beliefs because I understood their impact. So I mean, this is probably like one of the most formative and important things in my life that it didn't work. And then I think, you know, Bob, the other thing you said that's really important is I was in a lot of ways, you know, trying to be the poster child. My parents worked from home. It was their business and getting all of this feedback about how amazing they were. Like you said, not being seen. It was like, I didn't matter. Right. It's like, it wasn't about Mm -hmm. me. It was about my parents. And so I learned in a lot of ways 
be who people want you to be because that's the way to create safety. That's the way to be loved. And throughout my whole life, I kind of nailed it. Like I really knew how to be, and it wasn't well-liked in a way that was inauthentic. Right. And I think that's what made it even more confusing. I was fully authentic, but I really knew how to show my best parts, right. Be helpful, be insightful, be useful. And so I led with that, but it was really, really hard for me to show the rest of myself. So I felt like I lived, I've used this example once before, but it was like, I built the most beautiful glass castle and I was mm. overlooking the city and the lights. It was the most beautiful glass castle, but I couldn't leave. Mm. I was completely trapped and I couldn't go be with the other people. So I was in there alone. And so I felt like I had built this incredible personality that I was, con- I mean, from a young age, constantly being told how brilliant I was, how amazing I was, how insightful I was. I mean, it was constant, but I didn't take it in as like, yay, this is a compliment. I was like, yeah, of course you think that I'm being who you want me to be, but that's not who I really am. There's this whole other person who is kind of drowning inside of me because I shoved her in a closet because she wasn't impressive. Like what about the parts of me that aren't impressive or don't know the answer? So it's been, it's been a very real journey Mm -hmm. for me in my own work because my coping strategies work so well, I was afraid to touch them. I just, Mm. we just got back from Disney, Britt, and it's, you just described Elsa (laughs) from Frozen, like Frozen. she's in an ice palace in isolation. Uh, It was just, it was just so vivid. It just hit me so hard. Yeah. And, and you're how old, Bob, and you go to Disney? How old are you? I'm 53. Mm. Disney. I sat through the Frozen sing-along and was thoroughly entertained. Great. (laughs) Okay. This is a show about honesty. Mm-hmm. And no judgment. I'm doing everything I can to hold back. It's nice of you. Comments of Bob at Disney. Um, if I go to Disney, I'm going to need to go to the bar if they have a bar at Disney. They do. Five Disney. They I'll do. They have thirty dollars for a Epcot. cocktail to make yeah. it through the singing. Yeah, it's a mission. I, I'm just. I am just connecting with Brit on a moment. Like she gave me a visual, and yeah. I had a. I had yeah. a I had a thing that grounded me and I felt you, high empathy 50, towards her. 57 year old guy listening well. to, to, to someone at Disney. I got, I get you, brother. I, I got you. I got you. Come to my cabin so, outhouse. So, so Brad, at what point you, you must've reached a point where you like, you couldn't live in the house anymore. I, I imagine there was like a breaking point there had to, there has to be with that type of story. Yeah, there. So I would say it was a series of cracks, right? It wasn't so much an explosion as a series of cracks. Um, The first one was after my dad died. So my dad died about eight years ago. After my dad died, I'd moved to San Francisco to help take care of him when he was sick. And um, I didn't really know anybody. I was dating somebody at the time um, who was not an ideal partner for me. He wasn't a big communicator, didn't really do the feeling thing. Um, and my dad died and I kept trying to be fine. Actually, I lost three of my closest family members in one year. It was a it was a rough year. Mm-hmm. So um, that happened. And this, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't know how to exist. I don't know how to be vulnerable. I don't know how to take up space those really started to impact my ability to breathe, right? It was like, I just went through a really dark, really, really hard time. And I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't think anybody really cared about me, especially because again, like my beliefs were so clear. It's like people care about you because of who you are to them, not because of who you are as a human being. Mm. So as long as I'm giving, I get to be loved. I was never that person who was unloved right? I've been loved my whole life, but I believed I was loved because of the value that I brought to people, not because they actually just genuinely cared about me. And so I didn't know how to reach out for help. I felt really alone. It was just a really dark time. So I think that was the first kind of chink of like, I can't live like this anymore. And I didn't really know what to do about it. I just, I think it kind of motivated me. Um, And then I think over the years, I've just had like more and more opportunity to dig in. It was almost like I wanted to be vulnerable, but I didn't know how, because there was so much, it was like, I was so terrified. I couldn't, I couldn't break past it, especially I I have, you know, it, it wasn't like I had a life that wasn't, that was dysfunctional. I had like an ideal life. So I felt like I had a lot on the line, right? It's like, if you break this, you could lose everything that you've worked mm-hmm. for. Like you have everything. So that, I think that was a huge piece of it. And then a few years ago, 
um, actually when we moved to Salt Lake City, I noticed that I had a lot of envy of people's ability to talk about themselves. Mm. And that envy was a huge wake up call for me that if I'm being driven by envy, then there's gotta be something I can do about it. So I think that was another really pivotal moment is seeing the envy I had and really using that as a motivation to start to, you know, again, be more real and be more honest. Obviously my husband was a massive part of this. I created, I had no idea what safety was. I couldn't, I couldn't find that until I met John and John showed up for me in really, really remarkable ways and made me feel really loved and safe in a, in a way that I hadn't. So that also was, you know, a huge, I think, piece of my puzzle. Mm. Brent, I'm curious to know that, so the first seven years and the development and around around what, what we're talking about here is, and, and you and, and me and the work we've done together and Bob, I know as well, and others, um, it seems like we're, we're lack of a better word, paying for our first seven years that most adults are walking around paying for their first time and trying to figure that out. Is there any type of thoughts, advice, input you would give parents? Yes. Um, you know, a handful of principles for that first seven years. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I've got a couple, and this is something I'm deeply, deeply passionate about. The first one is children look at your way, and because you're in charge as a parent, your way becomes right and wrong. You're right and they're wrong. Mm. I think one of the greatest gifts you can give to your child is to explain to them that your way is not the right way. It's just your way. Now, because it's your house, your way might be the way that that kind of goes a lot of the time, but to actually have a conversation and explain that their way is valid, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you don't choose their way, that doesn't make it invalid. So to take those extra moments and say, there's no such thing as a right way and a wrong way. There's your way. There's my way. There's dad's way. There's your brother's way. There's grandma's way, right? Whoever it is that we all have our own way, because when we get older, we have these cycles of anxiety that come from trying to figure out how to do it right. And the reality is right doesn't exist. So we waste a huge amount of energy trying to figure out what right is and a huge amount of anxiety worrying that we did it wrong. This stunts creativity and innovation. This prevents us from leaning into our genius zone. So the most successful people are people who understand their way and they mm. understand that their way isn't the right way. It just happens to be their genius zone. So I think one of the first things is really making it clear there is no right, there is no wrong. There's just a number of different ways of doing things. And maybe you have a conversation, hey, your way sounds really great. And because we're in a rush and we need to get somewhere, today we're gonna do mom's way or today we're gonna do dad's way. And I would be really interested in trying out your way another time when we don't have somewhere to go, right? So you're just opening up the space where everyone has a way that's valid. I think that's number one. Mm. The second thing is most people don't trust themselves. And part of that is because we're constantly being told as a kid, again, not necessarily right and wrong, but we're being told the answer or how things should be, right? The word mm. should is a really big part of this. So asking your kid more questions about what do they think? What is their opinion? What is their idea, right? And instead of it being that you're constantly giving them the answer, you give them an opportunity to be curious about their own voice. So we're very often very disconnected from the voice kind of inside of us telling us what we think or what we want. And so teaching a, a child that they can trust themselves is really important when they make a mistake or they do something that has negative consequences, right? It wasn't wrong. It was absolutely, there was a huge learning experience, right? What did you learn from that experience? What were the ways that that mistake was really valuable and actually celebrating that this is a, a full human and their goal is not to do everything the way that you want them to do it or to do everything right, but actually to become a person. So you're not just helping to build a child, you're building a human being. So what are the qualities that you want in a human being, right? If you want someone who obeys, think about what that is as a 45 year old. Do you mm. want a 45 year old who obeys? Probably mm. not, right? You mm. want a 45 year old who can think for themselves. Well, that starts in childhood. And then the third and final that I think is really, really important is 
teaching your child that change is possible. And there's a couple different ways you can do this. I think one of the biggest challenges I see with the people that I work with is that most people have a belief that change is hard or it takes a long time or even that it's impossible. And that is one of the biggest blocks to actually making the changes, right? Again, if you don't believe it exists, you're not going to look for it. You're not going to be creative. If you expect it to be a long, hard, arduous process, that's what you're going to create. You're not going to look for efficiency. You're not going to look for shortcuts. You're not going to look for things that are natural or easy or fun. So I think one of the ways that you help a child see that change is possible is recognizing change in them and actually acknowledging the changes you see. The second one is showing them change in yourself. I think this is absolutely invaluable. Make it very clear that you're growing and changing because you become a mirror for them. And if you show them that change is possible, they will then internalize, oh, dad changed. I can change too. So now again, later in life, when they're stuck in a marriage or in work, instead of saying, well, I guess this is just the way it is. They're like, wait, Mm. dad changed and and life changed because of that. I can change too. So I think the third one really is again, showing them that change is possible and that it doesn't have to be painful or hard, that it can be fun. You can grow through new opportunities or through, you know, greater confidence. So I think those are the three core. What, what would you then say, Britt, to us parents who have now uh, teenagers and are young adults yeah, um, who, who are looking back going, um, I think I'm not, I think I'm afraid that I might've messed up. My yeah. kids I'm, in some I'm way. literally sit, litting, sitting here thinking, oh fuck, what the so, hell? What did yeah. I do? Yeah. Yes. Like, okay. Knowing but what we know all now. All my love and yes. best intentions. What the yes. hell did I just do? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and this is all parents, right? We don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. think, I think we either try to do the opposite of what our parents do or exactly what our parents do in any yeah. given thing. And neither of those, right, come from understanding the, the child brain. So so a few things. One, you are in luck because we are incredibly neuroplastic and you cannot ruin a child, right? They can still, they can still grow. So I think I would utilize, I would utilize number three. Yeah. I would be very clear, hey, these are things that dad didn't know. And so these are things I taught you. I taught you that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And I taught you, you know, whatever it is that I taught you. And I was wrong. I didn't know that. And these are the things that I've learned, taking accountability, saying that you're wrong. I I almost feel like the greatest gift you can give a child is not to be the perfect parent. It is to do something wrong, tell them that you did it wrong, show them that you can be accountable, that you can apologize and that you can do it differently in the future. You have to actually show the change, right? So you have to show that you're working on yourself and that you're actually showing the evidence of that change. But but by having these conversations, because your kids do have beliefs. So talking to them about it, asking mm-hmm. them where it, where it came from, helping them to reframe it, giving your point of view, right? If, if your child believes on some level that they weren't good enough because you got frustrated with them and they felt, oh, well, if I was better, you know, dad wouldn't have gotten mad at me. Have a conversation again, be really curious, you know, are there any places where I made you feel not good enough? you know, as a child and they can say, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I did feel that way and to be able to say, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I I would love to have a conversation where I can help you to understand my perspective and some of the things I didn't know and where I was coming from, because all it takes is an understanding of the truth to get rid of everything that isn't the truth, right? Mm. So one way to look at it is we need to learn more going back to the information. Another way to look at it is we don't need to learn more. We need to unlearn everything that isn't true. Mm. Right. And the things that aren't true are that your kid is not good enough. Right. The things that aren't true is that you're disappointed in them. You wish that they had been different. The thing that isn't true is that things are intrinsically hard or impossible. We make them hard or impossible through Mm. our perspective. But having these conversations about unlearning everything that isn't true is empowering your child, again, to utilize the neuroplastic nature of their brain to let go of everything that isn't true so that the truth, which is that they are intrinsically good enough so that that can be the driving force in their decision-making when they apply for jobs, when they say yes, when they say no, when they ask for a promotion, right? Whatever those life events are going to be. I love that. I had a conversation a year or so ago with my oldest and, um, and we were just talking about, you know, I I asked, you know, what's your favorite memory or, or we just started talking about stuff and, um, I, you know, Bob and I, and as most of us participated in the crash of what was it, 07, 08, um, where we had to sell a house in foreclosure and it had to move and it was very stressful and all the things. And talking through that with my son, 
who was a child at the time. I forget what age he'd be, but, um, and I'm not doing math in my head at the moment, but um, I said, yeah, man, this is what was going on. We were so stressed out. I had to find a job, da, 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 da. This was happening, not playing ball. We were doing this. And, and, and he's like, wow, well, you just, you you just made sense of my entire a lot of stuff I was hanging on to mm-hmm. like it's like yeah buddy had nothing to do with you you know mm-hmm. why dad was stressed out and an asshole to be around and and there was tears and there was tension and it's like why we had to move away from our friends he's like oh okay that makes sense I get it now I was like okay mm-hmm. I feel but be- I feel better because like you just said he kind of recognized the truth um of the yeah. situation so wow Hey founders, on today's show, Britt has really exemplified one of the principles that we we love to see in our clients, which is being willing to tell personal stories. Uh, Britt gets vulnerable and talks about the work that she's doing and how the work, uh, in fact, early on didn't work for her. Um, And that story was really powerful. And you too can tell powerful stories, personal stories that connect you to an audience. It makes you a real person, it makes you authentic. And it's a way for you to build trust with your audience. We want everyone to become master storytellers. It's the way you're going to scale, grow your business. It's the way you're gonna be uh, most impactful in the world. Uh, Head over to strategicstoryplaybook.com. That's a great start for you. Get our tool that helps you catalog your stories and be able to pull those stories in whatever platform and media you choose to deploy them. Strategicstoryplaybook.com. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. Britt, I, I love, th- this is this is amazing. Um, and we've been so excited to have you on. I want to know about the bridge between, this is not, this is obviously your dad's work, but you've made it your own. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned this stuff didn't work on me. And you, you've been just so honest and transparent about like your, your struggles. I, I'm, I'm excited to learn how did you make this work your own and how are you carrying it on? Yeah. So um, this is, I think, one of my favorite parts of the story because uh, so I, I walked away from this work. Right, I, I started a practice when I was basically in, like in my teens, I was executive coaching already in my early twenties. Like I had this work you was overachiever. It was like my right? second language. I was like breathing for me. I mean, I, this stuff was just the way that w- when my dad talked about his work, I was like, yes, of course. It was like, like my native language. Like it just was oh. so natural to me. So I was building. And at some point I started watching all of my clients like zooming past me and all the beliefs I still had, they were getting rid of. Mm. And it created this, this feeling like a lack of integrity and it created envy and it created all of these things I didn't want to feel. And I was like, I need to figure this out. Like, this is going to be my life's work, but I don't understand it. And maybe it's not. And I don't know. So I threw my practice in the trash can and I, started the journey of saying, okay, like what does growth look like for me? Like, what is it? If I can't eliminate my beliefs using my dad's work, how am I going to move past these beliefs? Cause I can't live like this. Like this is pretty unbearable to, to know so clearly everything that's wrong with me and not be able to change it. Right. It was terrible. And so, um, I just started, I don't know. I just started kind of being more aware of like, what are my ideas and how do I think, and how do I see, and it just kind of started some of the the healing process for myself, but I wasn't really taking a ton of notes of like, what is my IP, right? It was just me kind of like giving myself some spaciousness just to be. And then once I felt like I was like, okay, I'm in a much more solid place. Like now I'm ready to start this business and I'm really ready to do this. Once I started the business, I really started to be aware of what was coming out of my mouth. And I started realizing like, oh, wow, like this is, this is mine, And this is not my dad's like, this is, these are my ideas. And this is, again, this is my IP. And I was like, oh, wow, I've got a lot. And I would start Mm -hmm. to notice the way that I could always tell if something was big is it would come out of my mouth four times in a week. Right. Mm -hmm. So normally with every client, it's so unique. It's so specific to them, but I would notice these things would keep coming up and I'm like, oh, this is, this is an, like, this is big. This is an idea. This is something I want to hold on to. And I started having more and more and more. And all of a sudden I realized that I wasn't using the belief process as much. And I would start really changing the belief process until 
one day I was like, oh my God, I'm not using the belief process at all anymore. And again, it's, it is a foundation. I honor it fully as, you know, so much of my development, but I just stopped using the process and I started seeing bigger and bigger results. Instead of getting rid of a belief, it was like, I felt like I was helping somebody shift an entire identity. So Mm. then I would try to start using some of the things that I had been saying to others and reflecting them back to myself. And it was a lot harder to reflect them back to myself, but at least it felt like it was moving the needle where before it was like very black and white. Um, But the, the thing I will say that has been like one of the most meaningful and profound experiences of my life is to find my own voice because I always believe that my value in the world was doing my dad's work. Like that's what my value was in this life. And to be able to see that I could create my own stuff that had even bigger results than I had ever seen before and ever could have dreamed of, that was, that really shifted my identity. Like that allowing my external life, you know what I mean? To impact me so much was really big. And then seeing how people responded to it, right? Like doing a workshop somewhere, doing corporate work. I, I did a workshop, um, recently, um, for a a huge company. It was an amazing opportunity, but, um, I did the workshop on courage and that's not something my dad was interested in or ever talked about, but it's something that I think is really valuable in a corporate environment. I think it's also really valuable in a personal environment and the entire three and a half hour workshop was all of my own IP, right? So, so to be yeah. at a place where I can feel my dad's roots always, right? It's like he helped me develop a worldview that is very, very unique and it's the foundation. But I think really finding my own voice and becoming my own person was something that happened just through restarting my business and having clients and listening to myself, especially after my dad died. As painful as it was, I think it also kind of gave me the freedom a little bit to honor him by trying to evolve his work. And I think that motivated me. Um, And yeah, just kind of this freedom to be me on another level. So Brandon, if you give me uh, um, permission to do something here. So I I want, I would love to talk about the concept of this stuff is hard and this stuff takes a long time to fix. Mm. Um, Could you, could you tell the story? Uh, Britt came to talk uh, to Perry Marshall's roundtable group. Could you describe what you saw Britt doing in just a 45 minute kind of talk in a, in a short little session with, with, I'm thinking of one particular member, but I'd just love for you to describe what you saw and, 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 and what happened. And I want Britt to comment on what, on what you talked about. What what I saw that day yeah. with, with, with her yeah. presentations. Yeah. Um, what did you see in the people when she even like, I'm, pick, were, I'm thinking of one woman in particular. Very who, engaged. Yeah. Uh, There's a particular woman there who was very clear, had a, a lot of beliefs that were stuck in shame and fear having to do with religion, to be perfectly honest, if we're yeah. thinking of the same person. Yes. Uh, absolutely delightful person. And, and something that, you know, Bob and I have been working on ourselves around, you know, installed beliefs around religion and worthiness and shame and fear. Um. But it, it, what was really obvious, you know, with, with Brit's skill and patience is it, 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 it's one thing to challenge a belief, which is what I think 90 something percent of the world tries to do. You're, you know, shift your beliefs and, medita- and meditation and, and mantras and, and affirmations where if it, it literally feels like you're trying to hit a belief head on, where instead what Brit is doing is she goes around and gets you to reason with it and ask it questions and, and sit down at, a t- at, a, at the table with a cup of coffee and say, can we talk about this? Can we see if this is really useful anymore? And if it is, okay, we can hang on to it. But if it isn't, do you think we could modify this a little bit? Do you think we can talk about this? And I think that's, that's what Brit's approach has been. And she and I have done a lot of work together is it's like, you know, you come to bread and you think mindset, you think belief change, you think, okay, I'm going to strap into this roller coaster because it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And, oh, this belief is really strong, Brit. I'm warning you now. It's going to take a lot of work. And Brit's just like, hmm, okay, well, let's talk. Let's have a conversation with this belief. Let's see where it came from and, and why this belief was good for you, perhaps at a time. 
But now I don't know if you need it anymore. Maybe you've outgrown it. So it's what, that kind of approach. Yeah. What what I observed over Zoom, have you, is I literally saw a woman who was carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders suddenly take that weight off and she just she raised up in her chair. Mm. Like she was lighter after just a really short conversation. So Brett, I'd love for you just to kind of share like, is that normal for you to have somebody do that? Like we're told therapy, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a slog. We're going to have to work out a while. You, yeah. you don't do that. And I think it's amazing. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, first and foremost, the way that I say it is that not changing is hard. Changing itself is actually really mm. easy. Not changing mm. is hard. So fighting with your beliefs is exhausting. Fighting with your beliefs is really hard. Right. Yes. And if you go into battle, get ready to fight. And one way to do it is to go to battle. And another way to do it is to realize that there's no war. Right. And so we spend our entire life preparing to fight a battle that is never going to exist unless we create it. So there's the possibility to have total peace. We just need to see it clearly, but we project this battle and this war onto everything. And so we create it. So what I always say is that it's not changing is really, really hard. Fighting mm -hmm. your same beliefs over and over and over again is really hard. Therapy is incredibly valuable and therapy is focused on more effectively coping with what's in front of you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I don't think what's in front of you is relevant. I don't think the events of what's going on in your life are particularly important. I think what's important is what you are carrying with you in your mind that you project onto everything, which makes it challenging. And so for me, when you actually see the change, it happens instantaneously. When you realize that what you thought was true isn't true, it changes immediately. And it's not big and hard and painful and scary. It's just like an, oh, uh-huh. So it's literally, it's just like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because it's logical. Our beliefs are not logical. Our beliefs are completely irrational. So when you move from irrational to rational, it just feels like kind of sitting down in a chair. You're like, huh, yeah, that makes sense, right? So people are so used to this like big, you know, cataclysmic moment. And it's like learning that what you thought wasn't, what you thought was true wasn't true is not cataclysmic. It's a nuance. And I, I think that's the other piece that, we look for big. I look for nuance. I think big is overrated. A nuance is the difference between a seven and an eight on a lottery ticket, which is the difference of $500 million, right? Like <laughs> a nuance is the difference between first place gold medal and not even meddling in the Olympics. It's a nuance. It's a fraction of a second. And it's just seeing something from a bit of a different perspective to get that what you thought was true isn't true. And when you get that, it becomes ridiculous, right? An example that my yes. parents used to use when I was a kid was Santa Claus. As long as you believe there's a guy who flies in the sky with reindeer, you're going to think, feel, and behave as though that's true. You put out milk and cookies, you get excited. You kids, think hold your ears, hold your ears. Right, right yeah, I right, know, it's kids. funny. I had that thought, right? I'm like, <laughs> uh, but- uh, Wait, what? Yeah, right. Wait, Santa's not real. Wait, wait, but wait, once, wait you realize that, once you realize that Santa is not real, right? It it's not that you're learning all of this new information that you have to memorize and repeat and write on your bathroom mirror. It's simply realizing that a thing you thought was true, right? It's unlearning what isn't true. You thought there was a guy, there's no guy, right? And so it just becomes this kind of normal way of thinking. So we're coming back to what has always been, we just couldn't see. In my experience, um, you, you know, I'm working with Vlad, and it's it's so simple the way you described it. And Brandon, you did the same thing. It's almost like there's an invitation to step away from your perspective on this particular belief. You 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 identify where it is and you just move to the side mm -hmm. and the light shines on in a different way. And you look at it and you go, oh my goodness, that's it's either made up or it's completely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's the most it's the most simple and most profound thing I've ever gone through in my life. Yeah. And you know, the fact that your, your dad kind of started this, this work yeah. and you're carrying it on is like, it, it should, and, and will change the world. You know, you're going to carry this, this on and you're evolving into something amazing. You know, Brandon and I both see huge things for you. And the fact that you're able to do this and how it can help people so profoundly and so simply 
is what, you know, we want to help you get that message out to the world mm -hmm. because it's that profound, but it's that simple. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I feel very blessed that I get to spend my days watching people become free. And that's what I sit and do all day. I watch people who feel like they're unworthy or that money is scarce and hard to get, or that what makes them worthwhile is achieving or that relationships don't work or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And I, I work with a lot of high achievers who, you know, have, they did everything that they were told they were supposed to do to feel worthy and happy. And then they get there and they're not. And it's a huge disappointment and it makes people feel really powerless, right? It's like, but I, I did what I was supposed to do, but why do I still not feel good enough? Or why are my relationships failing, right? It's like your, your prefrontal cortex wants to go home and spend time with your family, right? But again, if your amygdala believes that you're worthwhile is tied to being successful, it's 8.30 at night and you're still sitting at your desk. And it's not because you're undisciplined or you're weak or there's something wrong with you. Your brain is not designed to keep you happy. Your brain is designed to keep you safe. And yes. if you believe, right, my worth and safety are tied together and my safety is now tied to achieving, it doesn't matter how good of a husband or wife I want to be, how good of a father or mother I want to be, I'm going to choose safety unconsciously and we don't actually see safety as the things that are dangerous. Again, we see safety as the things that created harmony in our family from zero to seven. So because of that, we are consistently fighting ourselves because the things that we want very often are inconsistent with what we believe is safe, right? Vulnerability and connection are desirable, but if being seen as perfect is tied to safety, you're not gonna do it, right? And and I again, I work with people who have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of, you know, their net worth, their assets, their businesses, and they're still at the office at 830 at night, not because they need the money, but because they need the safety. And mm. that's what their brain is telling them. And so I have the opportunity to work with people on all sorts of things like fulfillment and, you know, business is a really good doorway in one of the reasons I love working with you know, the high achievers in business. One is because it's just creative. I love business. I love infinite possibility, but also it's a doorway in. These are a bunch of people who might never have worked on themselves in a million years. And I think that it's, you know, it's really important to, to be able to meet the people who never would have kind of come to find you unless you had the business door open. The most amazing thing though is, is the results, like just the results speak for themselves. And that yeah. that's, what's so amazing about it. Um, please give us an opportunity to engage with you. How, how can people find you? What, where can they learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. So, uh, my website is just my name, brittlefko.com, B-R-I-T-T-L-E-F as in Frankfurt, K-O-E, brittlefko.com. Um, if you're interested in coaching, um, go ahead and book a call. You can do that on my website. I would love to connect with you. Um, also feel free to shoot me an email if you want to connect. I just love kind of expanding my network, meeting new people, finding more ways to make an impact. I have an Instagram. It is personal, not professional, but I love to send people to it because I have beautiful mountain photos. <laughs> it's just Brit Adventures. So B-R-I-T-T -T Adventures. Brit Adventures is a fun place to, like I said, see some camping pictures. And every once in a while, I'll do some professional stuff, but it's more personal. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. I would love to, I would love to connect with anybody who's interested. Awesome. Perfect. Brand has been waiting well, for the longest time to ask you a question. Have I? Have you I have. really? <laughs> you have. Okay. Well, it's, you know, Britt and I are just amazing friends. And so I know all of her stories and, or most of her stories. And, and um, so it's, it's just like hanging out with, with a great friend right now. So I'm like, well, what do I, what do I say? I'm just, I'm, I'm with Britt right now. But the thing I have to ask that we ask our guests is you, you, you have a 60 second window here. We call the 60, 60 second rant or the 60 yeah. second soapbox where Ooh, you can right soapbox or rant about anything from Starbucks making your coffee wrong to, to, I don't know, crap in the media to whatever, you know, something really annoying John does because everybody wants to know that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, All right. Go. You cut me off when I'm done. All right. 
So my rant is that within our educational system, we learn about a bunch of dead white guys and a bunch of equations that we're never going to use. And we do not learn how our brain works. We don't learn how to communicate effectively. We don't learn about happiness. We don't learn really much of anything valuable. And because of that, we are really set up for failure. And I think that there is an, I'll call it an epidemic of people believing that there's something wrong with them. And I just want to fight that with every cell in my body by saying, there's nothing wrong with you. You were just never taught the useful information and you are not alone and you are not unique, right? You might have a unique trauma snowflake and that is fine, but everything that that is made up of is the same crap that all of us deal with. And again, it's not because you're too lazy. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not because you didn't work hard enough. It is because you were not taught the things you needed to know in order to figure out how to be happy. You were not taught how your brain works. You were not taught how your decision-making works. And so I just would, I would ask people just give yourself a little grace that you were set up for failure. And that doesn't mean that you're screwed now go do something about it, right? Be accountable, but you're not responsible, you're accountable. And those are two very different mm. things. So that is my rant. So work on yourself. <laughs> it's, it is the difference between everything. It's the difference between you having everything you want and none of it. Like it's the difference between happiness and misery. Like you can be in the most beautiful place in the world and be miserable because you're thinking about, you know, something that you did that was a bad choice the day before. So just yeah. invest in yourself, whether it's with me or someone else, just invest in yourself. And perfect. Love Brett, it. thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So, so great to have you in the show. So good. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. A show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.